0: Um, uh, we've been in an Advent teaching series uh, straight out of Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. Isaiah, this, this prophet, has this incredible vision of the future, of what's going to come, of, of what's going to happen. Isaiah is this guy that, I mean, in the New Testament, he may be quoted more than any other. Jesus quotes Isaiah. The prophecy, the oracles of Isaiah are these incredible, powerful, like forward-looking words. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, he says, for a child is born to us. The son is given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. We've looked over uh, these words the past few weeks. We began with the idea of Wonderful Counselor, and what you see is these are, these are throne names, and incredibly like thrones uh, of, of royalty, and Wonderful Counselor is this guy that, that can navigate the political sphere. He has the ability to execute plans and policies with exceptional government governance. Like, it says that the government will rest on his shoulders. Last week, we talked about the one who is coming, the light bringer, will be the mighty God. It means that he's divine and has power and capacity beyond our ability. It's this idea that he's mighty in battle, a hero God, unstoppable, unsurpassable. But it goes on. It says the one who is coming, he'll, he will fulfill the roles of a, of a political king, and he will fulfill all the roles of a mighty God. But thirdly and unexpectedly, he says the one who will come will also function as a parent. He won't just be king or God. He'll be everlasting father. Now, if you fast forward 800 years from Isaiah's prophecy, a child is born a child who will fulfill all of these prophecies. And and frankly, it gets a little bit confusing to think of Jesus, the newborn king, as also as the everlasting father. Can any of you see why this is a little bit confusing? Because Jesus is the son of God, right? Jesus is the son and Jesus himself, he prays to God the father in heaven. But Isaiah says, yeah, 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 he's son. And even even Isaiah says, a son is given to us. But he describes this son and attaches titles to this son and says he will be called everlasting father. And what we're supposed to see is that when the son embodies the attributes, when the son embodies the character of the father, he becomes like the Father, and in fact, Jesus Himself would later say that He and the Father are what one. So today, I want to spend some time talking about the everlasting Father. Let's look at some of the attributes, some of the characteristics of the everlasting Father that that pass on that Jesus uh, exemplifies. In Psalm one hundred and three, beginning of verse thirteen, here's what it says: It says, "The Lord is like a father." to his children tender and compassionate to those who fear him so what you should see right off the bat is like this is a very different kind of relationship it's different from king's governance or or the might of the divine here you see is is a relationship that's both different and better it's a relationship defined by compassion right and love With a king, our relationship is to be a subject in the kingdom, right? With a God, maybe our role is, is, you know, we would define our relationship as he's God and we're a servant or a follower. But now, as God, as father, we get a whole new different relationship with him. With an everlasting father, we get to become not just subjects or servants, but sons and daughters, And his role is not just political, but familial. As family maker, he invites us to crawl up into his lap and call him Abba, to call him daddy. And as daddy, he assumes the role of provider. I love what it says in Matthew chapter 7, uh, beginning in verse 9. It says, you parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your, your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? I don't know if you've paused long enough to realize like, how incredibly strange this teaching is, Right? Like, this is the strangest Christmas morning ever, right? The kids run out excited for a new Xbox and open up the gift and they get a rock. They get super excited for that brand new iPad and they open the box and there's a snake in it. Actually, like, as I think about it, maybe that's not a bad idea anyway. We could, we could make this happen. Let me ask you this question. Who's the hardest person in your family to shop for? Who's the hardest person? If they're here today, just point to them. <laughs> Some of you are pointing to yourselves. Uh, do you guys, uh, do, you do, uh, do you do shopping lists in your family? So you know, my wife and I, we like, because people are all like, what do I get you for Christmas? And so I made a list on my, in my notes on my phone, and I just forwarded the list. And tr- the true thing is on the top of my list is nothing the second thing on my list is adventure, something that is dangerous and could hurt me. And then there's a whole bunch of other stuff on there. Right? Like that's you know, but like uh, we believe in lists. Do you guys believe in the list? Um because like like frankly, I just I need a I need a list. Like guys, have you ever tried to buy your wife a gift without a list? I know. I know. Um In my family, lists are essential, uh, otherwise you literally may get a rock or a snake or something, I don't know. Um, but we need list, because how in the heck am I supposed to know what you like? How in the world am I supposed to know what to get you? I've searched every Amazon page there is. How do I know what? To get you. And this opens the door, like, like this kind of struggle we have of like, hey, what do we do? And how do we do? And like it opens the door to an incredible like um, characteristic of the everlasting father. Look what it says in Matthew chapter 6 verse 8. It says, listen to this. It says, your father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. Just pause on that for a second. Like with with your everlasting father, with Jesus, just I want this to sink in. You don't have to make a list anymore. Why? Yeah, he knows. I love this idea. It's an important picture for us to get. Like, like he's paying attention. Like, Like he's not distracted or somehow preoccupied with something else. He's paying attention to you. Do you believe that today? Do you believe that your heavenly Father knows what you need, even if maybe you don't? Like this is an incredible characteristic of the everlasting Father that like he's so like, do you get that? Like like he's so in tune with you, with you, that he knows exactly what you need. And the Father provides. That's what dads do. That's what fathers do. And 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 what I love too, and what we see if you look at this this like this persona of the father of, of the parental persona in Scripture is that you see that the father's pr- provision is extended like to the family for sure, like the immediate family for sure. Like the pro- the dad is seen like this. Your role is to provide for the immediate family. But again and again and again in Scripture, the father's provision extends beyond the immediate family. Do you guys ever, did any of you have a dad like that? Oh, my, my dad was great. Like, like, he took care of our family and he took care of us. But I also remember my dad stopping to help somebody change a tire. I remember my dad, you know, paying other people's rent. I remember my dad, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it, like, like he embodied this idea of provider so strongly that it, that it just bubbled out of him. It couldn't be contained just with his immediate family. Do you have fathers like that, moments like that, where, where that kind of parental provision went beyond the borders? And in scripture, like you see this all the time uh, in Psalm 68, verses 5 and 6, when it talks about the father, he says, He's a father to the fatherless. Think about that. He's a defender of widows. This is God whose dwelling is holy. God places the lonely in families and he sets the prisoners free and gives them what's the word. Again and again, scripture's filled with the fatherly provision bubbling over. It can't be restrained within family borders. The father is attentive to the vulnerable and, and even the unproductive. The father is, is paying attention to widows and orphans and immigrants, to the weak, to the needy, to the outsider. Do you see this? Like this, this idealic father, like none have escaped his gaze. No one has escaped his care. So the father's role is to provide, but that's not all. Uh, I know I'm talking a lot about fathers. I think this extends it extends to moms too, like this idea of provision and care and some of this. But but lo- there's a moment here, and I'm slightly biased, but like dads serve this really like additional kind of dad role for all of us. And so I want you to watch this video and, and see if this, this makes sense of like how dads really function for us. Watch this. We agree, yeah. Absolutely. Dads have this definite like Holy Spirit reflex dad reflex, right? You know what I'm talking about? Like that just like snatch a kid out of the fire and snatch a kid over here. Like like I think this, there's this great thing that this great picture of dad is our is our rescuer. The fact that those dads got half those kids into that problem means nothing. <laughs> So God provides for us. God, our, our everlasting father, Jesus, our everlasting father, he, he, he provides for us, but He also protects us. He's our rescuer. You guys know that song? Like that's who he is. And I want to talk about like like God's protection, but there's there's a really like there's a million little ways that God works, and He's the Father to us, protecting us. But there is one aspect of the Father's protection that that I really want to emphasize, and sometimes and sometimes we miss it or push it aside. I'll, I'll I'll introduce it by asking this question: Did you ever make your dad mad? Did you ever make your father angry? I still do, <laughs> right? Um, I I think, man, there's there's one of these things that happen when you're a parent. Like, like as a parent, like there's there's nothing on earth that can bring you more joy than your kids. But also as a parent, there is like nothing on earth that can bring you more like pain and anguish and anger than your kids at the same time. You know, it's like what happened. Um, Amen. Yeah, I know. Like sometimes, um, sometimes our kids make us furious. Sometimes they make us angry. Sometimes, like, uh, like, like we've all done wrong, and and just frankly, we're just deserving of punishment. But there's an aspect of the everlasting Father's protection that I that I don't want you to miss. Psalm 103 does a great job of illustrating it. Here's what it says. The Lord, the everlasting Father, is compassionate and merciful. What's that next line say? Slow to get angry. He's filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us nor remain. What are those words? He does not punish us for all of our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve this is like this i think i think this is like when you think of everlasting father this is one of the aspects that you need to hold most closely to do you see that even though you were deserving of punishment you were deserving of judgment you were deserving of all of these things like like you had done wrong i love what it says he's like he's slow to get angry he won't remain angry forever. What an incredible quality of the father. One that I, frankly, sometimes I have just fail at. But we see it over and over again. Like, like even the, the, the New Testament tells this story of this ungrateful wretch of a son who comes and demands money from his father. We don't see the exchange, but the, the, the son walks away with his inheritance, and he goes and he blows it all, right? He becomes destitute. I mean, he, he went to Vegas, and he hit bust. He's got nowhere else to go. And he turns around and like, like he's at such a desperate point that he turns around to return to his own home. And he sees his father on the road. And the son is expecting what? The son is expecting anger. The son is expecting punishment for what he's done. Like he knows his guilt, he knows the pain and the suffering he has caused. But in scripture, in this incredible story of the prodigal, what happens? The father runs to the son and repays him the opposite of what he thinks he deserves slow to anger, filled with compassion and mercy. He draws his son in. The son expects anger and instead finds mercy and forgiveness and love. What I want you to know, what I want you to see is that anger is not the last word there's this idea about the everlasting father that that the everlasting father can do better than anger. It's unthinkable that the father will not be moved to act positively. The father moves with the rhetoric well, well beyond the judicial or familiar possibility, beyond anger to mercy. This is what the Father does. And this relational provision and protection, I don't want you to miss the, the, the first part. We've talked about the Father a lot, but, but I don't want you to miss that first like energizer bunny word at the beginning. It says that the Father's protection and provision is Everlasting. Like this role that he takes on is unending. It's reliable and constant and steadfast. Like it goes on through time and over the generations. It, it reminds us that this father is in it for the long haul. The everlasting father has everlasting patience. Patience. We see in the everlasting father a willingness to wait forever. Like he'll wait forever and then he'll wait some more. The everlasting father will will suffer forever and then he'll suffer some more. Whatever it takes. As long as it takes. Now if you don't mind me getting just maybe a little bit into your kitchen. Some of you know this place. Some of you right now know this waiting place, this suffering place. And I'm going gonna, gonna to ask an incredibly personal question, and so if you choose not to respond, that's fine. But um, if you right now have a strained relationship with a family member, if you right now have have lost a son or daughter or if there is some distance that exists between you and one of your kids, if you can relate to that waiting place, will you maybe just raise your hand If if you're brave enough? Thank you. I know some of you are adventing a reunion. And it hasn't come yet. And I want you to know, like, like I, I love that Christmas is a season of joy and a season of rejoicing. But, but frankly, like, let's just be honest, for some people, like, this is an incredibly painful time. Because all it does is shine a spotlight on the hole that's in their heart, the hole that's in their life, the pain that they're feeling. And so I just want to—I want to extend like, like, like an offer to you uh, this week. Uh, this, in fact, I think Wednesday at ten o'clock, right here in this building, we're going to have a special prayer time for—we just call them lost kids. If there's some distance between you and a family member. Man, we we want to lean into that with prayer. We want to lean into that with intention. And so this Wednesday at 10 o'clock, and, and maybe you can't come at 10 o'clock, maybe you're at work, maybe go and just set your phone. At 10 o'clock, let's pray for the distance that is between some parents and kids. Let's pray for a reunion, for joining together. And maybe I can't fix it. Frankly, with, with some kids that I know, adult and and, and little kids, I really just want to drive to their house and beat them up. I mean, like, you know, I know that's a pretty holy thing to say, but that's kind of, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> And uh, I know some of you are like ready to make that happen tomorrow. Um, I, I can't I can beat them up, but I'm not going to. Uh, what I can do is wait with you. What we as a church family can do is wait with you and pray with you and advent with you to pursue reunion. We can be for each other everlasting patience. And the truth about everlasting patience is that it's always born out of everlasting hope. His unending hope is the restoration of the family. Do you believe that? Do you believe that while we were still sinners, God sent his one and only son so that whoever believes in him would have life with him again? believe that this whole thing, like when you look at Christmas and you drive past those nativity scenes, when you look in that manger, do you see the reunion of God's family? It started with a child. Because this, this provider father, this protector father, he is also family restorer father. He is the king bringer backer and holder togetherer. That's what he does. In just a moment, we're going to have a time of communion together. It's sacred space for us. And we'll have some instructions on the screen, but we have simple elements around the room. And just invite you to, to meditate deeply on, on what God is speaking to you and how he's revealing himself to you. Maybe you've created some distance between yourself and the Father, and it's time to come home. That can happen today. That can happen today. Finally, just as we wrap up, and, and, and most importantly, I just want to remind you that... That uh, although you and I are not the everlasting Father, like I mean, we're we're far from it. I I mean, I my own fatherhood is pales in comparison. But like Jesus, if we spend time with the everlasting Father, if we follow the everlasting Father, if we emulate Him, we can be united with Him. So as we advent the everlasting Father, may you receive His attentive provision. As we advent the everlasting Father, may you enjoy his full protection. As we advent the everlasting Father, may you enter into his unfailing hope. And as we advent the everlasting Father, may you be restored to his family. May you embody all that the everlasting Father has to offer. And may you extend it to others. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you so much for your word. I think that you, that, that you are our father. And, and God, maybe there's some of us sitting in this room that think, man, my, my relation with my dad was no good. And, and they have this picture of a father that, that, that maybe wasn't, wasn't greater. And maybe it was just really horrible. And, and really, the, even the idea of father brings up painful memories. But God, I, I pray that you would, you would move those memories away and that you would show them what a real father is. God, I pray that they would know the truth of, of Father, that they would see you and recognize you as an everlasting father, as a father that's not going anywhere. God, no matter what we have done or how we have sinned or how we have, we have broken your heart, you remain available with arms open, with a filled with hope that we would return to you. And God, that opportunity is available today to us through your son, Jesus Christ. And so, Father God, I I pray that this Christmas would be a season of restoration. I pray that that anger would be pushed to the side and that families could be healed in your name. Father God, we believe that that's possible in this place. We believe that the provision and the protection and the hope that the everlasting Father has, like, like we believe that's available here and now. And so, Father God, we ask you to just bless us as we enter into this time of communion. We love you. We offer this prayer in your son Jesus' name and everyone together says, amen. I invite you to enjoy a time of communion together.